With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for Gabby and Edie, yeah! His comments! Hello, thanks for tuning in to Steve Bloomer's Washing, Derby County podcast for a cheeky midweek episode. We've just witnessed Philip Koku's first league defeat as Derby County manager, Bristol City gaining a little bit of revenge for that away win in April at Ashton Gate by turning over at the Rams 2-1 and another point on the road at Stoke last weekend as well though to keep the early season points total ticking over at least. Uh, swearing in the corner alongside me was Tom Martin. How you doing? Uh, yeah, good to see you Chris. How would you sum up that Bristol City defeat in one word? Uh, ponderous I think is a good word. You had another good word beginning with P as well didn't you? Uh, passive. Yeah. Yeah, I think both of those. I could go on pensive. <laughs> <laughs> Any more P's? Three's fine. That's uh, That's fine. Um, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company. Don't forget Derby's original craft brewer. Later on in the podcast, we'll be uh, talking about Stoke and Bristol City and uh, looking at Forest as well, that tasty Carabao Cup clash at the city ground and uh, the trip to West Brom coming up as well. But as we said earlier, it was a first league defeat of the 1920 campaign for Philip Koku as Derby manager. Tom, we said these first few fixtures, we knew they were going to be tough. And we've even got, <laughs> it's not bad enough, we've got West Brom, Cardiff and Leeds still to come in the next few games. And I guess to an extent, it would just be a case of getting through them, really, keeping the points total respectable, uh, even being mid-table by September, October would have been absolutely fine. But it was just the way that we gave those goals away in the Bristol City game that we've just watched. Um, the game given us ourselves an absolute mountain to climb at half-time. Um, even with a strong finish in the second half, it was just absolutely kamikaze stuff in the first half at times. And I know Derby did miss two very decent chances in the first half at 1-0 down. And we had a decent spell of possession at the start of the second half, but overall it's a, a result that we can't really complain about, is it? Um, no, I don't think so. And I also don't think that we're we're necessarily in a bad position, to be honest. I think we're still finding our feet. And the fact that we're, we're playing those sides, you mentioned Cardiff and Leeds, uh, in the next few weeks 
you've got to consider you, you play everyone twice. So it doesn't matter where you play them. It might be frustrating for us that I think the problem with tonight's game is that Koku doesn't know his best shape. The players don't know how to play in a 3-5-2. They're not quite fitting into a 4-2-3-1 properly. Um, we're really missing Bogle down the right to give us some natural width. Uh, and because of that, we've, we're having difficulties breaking teams t- teams down and the team looks to be uh, lacking a bit of confidence when we have the ball we had a lot of the ball tonight but we didn't really do a lot with it and we were very sort of uh, as I said ponderous and very passive with our passing we played the safe ball so often uh, ball going left to right but not through trying to break through the the safe ball or the bad ball a lot of the time I mean missing key players playing good teams and playing players who haven't played with each other very often clearly finding their way with their own teammates and in that shape but despite all of that Philip Koku can't legislate for the way that we gave away those two goals against Bristol City in the game we've just seen I mean Scott Malone basically having such a bad first half that he was hooked at half time for a winger <laughs> Florian Josephson and a, a first and second goal that that involved defending that was so bad that we made Andy Weimer looked like a world beater, basically. The Wasp was definitely in there stinging us uh, on his return to Pride Park. He was, um, I thought he was excellent. He did a lot of running, put a lot of pressure on that Derby back line. But I think the Malone mistake actually goes further. I think it was Keogh who played the ball back to, to Roost. It wasn't a great ball and I was a bit worried when the ball went back to him. Roos's touch wasn't great and then his, uh, sorry, Roos's touch was great uh, and then his pass out, I didn't think it was enough power and then Malone had to, or decided he was going to turn and it was described on Rams TV as criminal and kamikaze defending and I think that's totally appropriate and the fact, as you say, he was hooked at half time, he deserved it because I thought he was really poor, um, very disappointing and he, he doesn't offer enough going forward to counteract that. Well, do you know what, he, you know, he tossed in a couple of decent balls in the first half but his main job is defending. And he didn't do it well enough against uh, against Bristol City. The thing is, I've seen him try that little move a few times where he tries to uh, just pop it round the round the wide man. And I think, oh, that's, that's a bit risky. You're going to get caught out doing that one of these days. And for him, he'll know that it was the mistake that cost us the game, basically. But going back to the first goal, um, a difficult one to analyse because there's a lot going on, wasn't there, in, in the build-up to it. That um, uh, Vyman, again, who, as you said, had a really good game, to be fair to him, sort of turning, squirming around Richard Keogh, causing a bit of confusion with, with Ruse, uh, the ball sort of spilling into the air. Uh, I think it was, was it a phobia who had that mishit shot think, towards the area? Uh, Palmer, or possibly which, Casey Palmer. Yeah. And then the ball just bobbles to, to, to Vyman's feet. And to be fair to him, you know, show great composure to turn back inside, do Ruse and stick it in the corner. But... You know, it's um, when he when he's got the ball at his feet. There's four or five derby players around him, just standing completely statuesque. I mean, I don't think Lowe does enough with the defensive header, or Huddleston does enough to anticipate the ball and get his body in front of it. But we know that's not what Huddleston is about. I'd, I'd go even further back than that one. Um, the ball comes across, and I think uh, Keo tracks the run of Vyman, uh, and I think it's Vyman uh, and Keo and Clark are all challenging one another. Um, and Vyman managed to break through, and that's what initially starts that whole sort of melee. The ball then bubbles up, and it's headed away by Lowe, who does I think actually did pretty well to get the ball up and out. Um, but there's no pressure on the midfielders who are coming in from Bristol City. And I, I said to you, Chris, through that game. Every single time Bristol City were first to the ball, be it in midfield or be it at the back or be it up front, Afobi was bullying Keogh, I thought. I thought he had a great game. And the same thing happened here. 
Palmer was first onto that ball ahead of a derby midfield, didn't get a clean strike on it. And for me, Roos has got to stand tall. Vimer's got loads to do. He's six yards out. He hasn't got an angle. He's taken the touch and Roos has chucked himself on the floor. So what Vimer does, nice little feet, turns him inside out and puts it in the bottom corner. Roos has got to stand tall there. and But that was the end of a, a catalogue of errors from Derby. And it's been going on, I would argue, all season. Go back to the Huddersfield game, the goal we conceded. Dow sloppy, uh, bringing them down. No goals obviously conceded against Swansea, but the two goals against Stoke, which we'll come on to later on Saturday, both avoidable goals. And I think Derby, are, at the moment, they're causing their own trouble. If we can cut that out, we will we'll be a functional enough team to get through this difficult spell where we're just trying to find how we play and what we do and what Koku's trying to work out his best 11 and the style. And the players are getting used to it. But we need to cut out the individual errors. It's too many at the moment. At 1-0 uh, at down, though, it's worth pointing out that Derby did have two very decent chances to turn the game completely on its head. Might not have deserved it, but the chances were there and it could have been very different. I think a lot of people will look at this performance against Bristol City and say how bad we were defensively, but the problems were in both boxes, right? I mean, uh, the first one, uh, that cut back to, to Kieran Dowell, more on him later, um, gets his shot off, but I think he could have, could have taken a touch, couldn't he? Could have just got it out of his feet. Maybe the sign of a player who is just trying a little bit hard, too hard to impress. I don't know. Just needs that composure to know and believe in his own ability to get out his feet, pick pick the corner. But he snapped at it, I think, a little bit. And then minutes later, I think Bennett it is who who gets free down the right, sends in a peach of a cross in front of Waghorn. But Tom Lawrence can't stick it away at the back post. Good save from the keeper. You have to say that, but. I tweeted myself that I just think Lawrence has, has got to do better there. And again, not really showing enough confidence. I don't think he's really hit the same heights as he did on the opening weekend against Huddersfield. So, yeah, difficult defeat, but perspective. Um, the game could have been very different at halftime. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I would also chuck in the Mason Bennett chance, uh, which we've slicked through to him. I think it was Huddleston played a little round of- uh, around the corner through ball uh, and Callas did brilliantly to uh, get back and clear the ball away for a corner I think the Lawrence chance he's got to do one of two things he's got to absolutely hammer it hard and low with his left foot and he seems to side foot it or he side foots it and puts it in the top cor- corner he gives the keeper a chance and the keeper fair play to him he gets down well uh, covers the ground quickly he's a big lad is uh, Daniel Bentley and he saves that well Derby had their chances tonight, but we didn't deserve to take anything from that game. We got everything we deserved because of our own mistakes. It just seemed that I mean, Philip Koku did the same thing, I think, for the third time this season in making a change at half-time. Not, there's not that many managers who regularly make changes at half-time. You do, when it happens, you do think, oh, that's a bit of a, that's a, bit of a surprise. Something must be going badly wrong or, or there must be an injury or something. But I mean... Malone had to had to get hooks. He was having an absolute shocker, wasn't he? But I think it's it's the second or third time Cocker had done it in four games. Is that a sign to you of players that aren't doing enough, or a sign to you of Koku not knowing yet? And it's not his fault. He's only been here four games, but is it a sign of him not knowing his best eleven yet? It's a trend that worries me because fine, I don't mind a. Um, taking a player off at half time because they haven't been good enough but the fact that I think you're right I think it has been three games um, that he's done this the fact it's happening so regularly suggests to me that one of two things is happening 
either the players aren't putting the work in and listening to instructions and that's why they're getting pulled off or Koku's getting it wrong and he's now getting it wrong more times than he should be. He keeps trying things and I'm all for trying things but we need to actually settle on something and, and try it for longer than 45 minutes. We can't keep coming out playing 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 and then changing to 3-5-2. If we keep changing to 3-5-2 at half time, why not start with 3-5-2? I can see where it would work. I don't think we quite have the right midfielders in the centre for this at the moment, um, but I think we could get there. And I don't think we have the right personnel necessarily out wide at the moment with no Bogle. But I think it's the right way to be playing and I do think that we need to stick with something and just keep going at it and keep trying and keep making it work. There's, a, there's an argument that Derby managers in the past haven't had a plan B, but you don't want someone who is at the complete other end of the scale who insists on playing two formations every single game, do you? Yeah, I mean, the players get lost and the players get confused. I thought in the second half, I thought we lost our shape and I thought that people were running around, putting effort in um, and we end up having lots of players forward but no one in the, the correct positions to build chances. I don't think I've seen a Derby team play as, as many long balls as I have done in that second half there. I think it, I mean, part of it is because that was just a natural flow of the game. Like, City were 2-0 up at half-time, so they could afford to stick two backs of four 40 yards out from their own goal and just say to us, come on then, come and break us down. And when teams drop that deep, inevitably you're going to end up just uh, just launching it and panicking the longer the game goes on that your plan isn't working, so you just hoof it. So I think part of it was because of that. Um, getting on to the changes at half-time though, uh, Max Lowe shifted from the right to the left in the second half I, I don't I know he, he you know he does as best he can on the right but I don't really enjoy watching left-footed right backs it just makes me <laughs> deeply uncomfortable for various reasons I, I totally agree but... and it was um it was just great to see him in a much more natural position in the second half tossed in some really good crosses I thought uh, but that does result in um a player who was getting a lot of stick in the second half, Florian Josefsson, playing as a uh, auxiliary right wing back in the second half, and you weren't massively impressed with him, were you? No, I'm just going to quickly go back to Lowe there. I think uh, Lowe had a decent first half. It's the best I've seen him play adjusting to that right back, and um, I think it was Ryan Conway on the Athletic who was talking about his heat map, saying that he was cutting inside a lot against Stoke and wasn't offering us any width uh, in the final third of the pitch. A couple of great balls in, uh, including the one to Dow for that chance that you mentioned. Um, which he'd played with his right foot. So fair play to Lowe. Um, he got a bit tired. I could see him stretching off in the last 10 minutes, but thought he had a good game. But Yosasun's so frustrating. I don't think he's got a footballing brain. He doesn't seem to um, get forward in the at the right time. He doesn't seem to stretch the play. He doesn't seem to know what he's meant to be doing. There was a particular passage, wasn't there, when uh, Keo of all people, was bombing into the area and he was looking. You could see yeah. he was gesturing for Zoon to make the overlap. But uh, Josef Zun just was caught on his heels for whatever reason. And if he can't do anything else, he should at least be in the right position because he can't. He was not beating the first man often enough with his crosses, was he? No, and that that was that was the, the one of the big examples I think of of the frustrating things with with Josef Zun. He didn't seem to want the ball from Keo. Then when he did get the ball, he'd either play backwards or he'd try and play a first time cross. The only time. Um, that he's actually drove into the box is the time when he drove into the box, gave the ball off to Marriott, Marriott spun and turned and put it in the top corner. I I said 30 seconds before, because Yoja soon had the ball then, and he played it back, and I was like, 
this is so frustrating because he's in the right position, he's got loads of pace, the fullback's dropped off him, and all he needs to do is either use that pace, push, push him back, or create that space for someone else by driving towards the byline and then pulling it back. But he played safe too often, he was wasteful with his crossing, um, and a really, really disappointing uh, 45 minutes from Josef soon. Got the assist his general play deserved, we can uh, all agree, in the second half. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that was the only thing he did well, and uh, it was a great he's, finish. He's left-footed, right? Yosuzun is left-footed. So, in his defence, he's playing on the wrong side. I don't know. I think he is actually naturally right-footed. I seem to recall him scoring against Derby in a 2 no, he's left, defeat. he's left-footed, isn't he? Oh. And he scored with his left for that goal away at Hull last season. I, I don't. He seems to have two feet, but neither of them are very good. So, um, <laughs> we can call him the no-footed footballer at the moment because like, we need someone else on that right flank. Uh, I like lower left, uh, left-back and left-wing-back. But perhaps Dwayne Holmes, hopefully he's going to be fit. He played for the under-23s last night. Um, for me, he'd be a good option in the absence of Bogle. Well, look, Zoon is doing the job he's been asked to do. It's not his fault he's been asked to play as a right wing-back um, because he's the best we have at the moment. I think it's just a bit weird situation that, that Wisdom is wherever he is. I don't know. Holmes is also injured. Bogle's also injured. That's not a situation we will find ourselves in for very often this season so hopefully Bogle will come back and we can just forget this whole episode ever happened <laughs> I, do, I, w- I would agree that he's, he's doing his best and he's not the only one who's um, who's necessarily you could point fingers at but Koku's obviously trying to find a system that works and so you think right okay Yosefsu what's your best position he seems to be a real genuine winger okay we'll play 4-2-3-1 then let's play Yosefsu out there and that's how it started uh, earlier on in the season did he do anything? No. Was he any good? No. Um, so what do you do? Like, Do you then start to, you think, I've got this player who plays in the wing, I'm going to play a wing formation in 4-2-3-1, and he doesn't do anything. So you may as well put him out of position and him still not doing anything, but he's a body on the pitch because hopefully the other players are better suited. So you've got to play your, your system to suit the players, to suit the best 11 you can put out. Um, and at the moment, Josef Zoom doesn't fit into any of that, and I can't imagine... In, him to have a real big impact on this season. We just need that that match-winning display from him, just something to give him that confidence boost to go on that run of games, to stay in the team, to make that impression. But, I mean, he's played, what, almost 40 games for Derby and we haven't seen it yet. Those are That, that, that is the truth. But, anyway, uh, continuing the cheery theme, um, another player who we're not quite convinced is doing a huge amount at the moment is uh, Kieran Dowell. Uh on corner duty, floated in a couple of decent set pieces uh, to the back stick that Keo and Clark got their heads on. Um, but again, I think the thing is with Dow, he was dropping deep quite a lot. He was playing like parallel to Huddleston quite a lot of the time. And um, I think he shows a lot of effort defensively, but he's a bit of a liability tracking back. I mean, he, he gave he gives away soft yellows, gave away the penalty against Huddersfield. Um I don't know about I don't know what you think, but I think the problem for me is that he's he's not played far forward enough. I mean, two years ago he hit double figures for Forest, um, but is part of the problem that he's sort of too similar to Tom Lawrence in a way? Yeah, I think I think so, and I think we're also he's he's a victim of the fact that we keep changing system in the midfield. Now, the second half, I thought we lost our way in the centre, um, and people didn't know who to drop, like when to drop back and when to push forward, um, and you'd have. Dowell dropping back and Huddleston dropping back or you'd have Dowell and Lawrence going into the same space and running into each other um, 
and they seem to be two similar players and we can't have those two similar players and I think we we really lack a of 2013-14 Bryson, a real box-to-box who will do both of those jobs um, but do them effectively. And Daryl's trying to be that and he's trying to learn that part of his game. But he's he's still a young player and he's still developing. And I think the, the changing of system all the time and the changing in responsibility and role is really affecting him. You can see lack of confidence. Um, he's giving the ball away a lot more and that's not something that you'd associate with uh, Kieran Daryl and it's not the he needs, reputation he's he had. He needs a goal, doesn't he? Yeah, or, or an assist at the very least. And the player he is clashing with a little bit, Tom Lawrence, um, often a bit of a scapegoat. We've said already that he hasn't quite hit the heights of the opening weekend. But um, credit to Kutch, he was pointing out on, on the WhatsApp group during the game that Lawrence was trying to make things happen. You know, he was driving forward, beating players, putting crosses in, um, spreading the play. Dow was doing that as well, to be fair. But I think... Um, even though Lawrence did didn't have the end product that we want from him, I think yeah he had a decent game against against Bristol City. He wasn't he was far from uh, Derby's worst player. Yeah, I mean there were a few well, a number of players who we could could call out and a couple we already have, but Dow wasn't great. But I thought going on to Lawrence and what Kutch was saying, um, the thing that I think was the difference between Lawrence and Dowell is that Lawrence really drives between the lines. So he was trying to get in between those two banks of four that Bristol City set up uh, in the second half and tried to create the uh, the space and pick the pockets of space. My frustrating thing with Lawrence is he, he's quite petulant. So if something doesn't go right for him, he's not happy. Um, and he doesn't go back and go, right, okay, what can I do next? So for example, when uh, Marriott came on, we had Marriott and Waghorn both pushing forward and at one stage we had Lawrence also pushing forward but then he didn't drop into the space that Lawrence, sorry, that Waghorn and Marriott created by pushing the Bristol City defence back, he just stood there and waited for the ball because it didn't come to him immediately when he thought it should have done. If he'd have dropped into the space he could be so much more dangerous and he's just a bit, I don't know, he just seems a bit sort of petulant and a bit sort of short-tempered when things don't go his, his way um, and things didn't go Lawrence's way tonight I agree with Kutch, he did try but um, but it wasn't an effective performance as a team and also as an individual for Lawrence. The one positive, though, Jack Marriott's goal. But yeah, what a strike yeah. that was. Absolute peach. I mean, his first touch actually takes him away from goal. He's not even looking at the goal when he when he gets it. But his instinct for where the goal is is so is so finely tuned, is so good that he just needs one touch with the outside of his wrong foot out of his feet, and then bang, left foot top corner. Hell of a strike. Jack Marriott is absolute quality. I think he's a cracking player uh, and he finishes. He, that's, that's his ability. He can just he knows where the net is and he knows he, he knows he can put it in the back of the net. Do you um, think... Um, he's got to start. I was thinking before the game that the only way in which he would start against West Brom is if he, is if he scores. He needs a goal to start. He needs to give Cocker a decision to make. But he's come on even if he's not match fit and scored. I mean, do you think... Even an eighty percent fit Jack Marriott is better than what we have that, that he adds to the team. T- totally, and he he also had a positive impact on a Saturday against Stoke. Marriott is a goal scorer. He provides a foil for Waghorn, who I thought was a bit off colour tonight. He seemed to be slightly off the wavelength of other players. But when Marriott and Waghorn were up front together, uh, and we saw this exactly the same in the playoff final, they're they're so dangerous. You've got the big, strong. Uh, Waghorn causing defenders all sorts of problems and Marriott just snapping around um, to get uh, getting the pressure and putting that pressure on the back back line. Those two up front for me on Saturday and I'd quite like to see 3-5-2. Bielik, Clark, Keogh at the back. This is the central midfield I think where we've got the real problem and I'd love it if Holmes was fit. 
uh, so he could fit into one of those positions. Dow reminds me a little bit of Wilson last year. Came on loan, big reputation, didn't quite get going uh, immediately and had to be uh, pulled out of the first team for a little while. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start on uh, on Saturday. While you're here, please do follow Steve Bloomer's Washing on social. We're on Facebook, Twitter, at Steve Bloomer Pod, and Instagram to search Steve Bloomer's Washing or drop us an email, stevebloomerswashing at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. A quick word on the point at Stoke then from uh, from the weekend uh, 2-2 in the end. Bit of a weird game, wasn't it, Tom, really? Um, both teams probably could have said that they that they could have won it. I think for me, we were lucky to get a point overall. Um, you look at the chances that Stoke had versus the one big chance that we had to win it at 2-2 when uh, Waggy was put, put through for his hat-trick. But who do you think? would have been more happy with the point. I think uh, Derby will have been getting a point away from home. Yes, it was uh, Nathan Jones's first point of the season, but I think going away from home to anyone, if you can pick up a point, um, that's that's a pleasing result. So I think Derby did well to battle back. Uh, we started really brightly though and got down the left extremely, extremely well. Ball back from Malone, which was a clever, intelligent ball. Uh, the crossing from Dowell and beautifully hooked, hooked home by Waghorn, um, who I thought looked much better on, on Saturday than they did, to, did tonight. The um the chances that Stoke missed. I mean, <laughs> Joe Allen, he's gonna have nightmares about that one, isn't he? Um, <laughs> I hope so. Talk, uh, uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, which surely is nobody, because it was absolutely everywhere on uh, on Twitter within minutes of it happening. It sort of reminded me of the uh, goal that Leeds scored in the uh, at the start of the second leg in the playoffs with that cross from the from from the far side, uh, in swinging cross. Nobody deals with it, hits the post, comes out to him. Although it was Ruse who sort of palmed it out, came at Allen quite quickly. Um, and yeah, then he hits the post from a yard out, which should have been a goal. Simple as that. And then after that, Tom Ince of all people, who scored the winner against us last season at their place, gets the ball, what, eight yards out, left foot, goal gaping, hits the bar. You'd back Ince to score and you'd back Joe Allen to score as well. But thankfully, uh, Stuart Dallas maybe is a better finisher than him. I've got a question on um, what you think about Keller Roos here for the uh, Allen chance. The the ball, you get a replay quite nicely on the uh, the highlights on YouTube. The ball comes in from the uh, left-hand side. It gets headed towards goal and Roos seems to sort of go to his right and then palms it straight out into the into the middle of the goal, uh, which is where Allen has the chance. And I think Allen's actually caught surprised. Do you think Roos could have done better there? Yeah, definitely. And it's part of, it feeds into the fact that right now, Roos just does not quite fill me with that much confidence. I've got to be honest. You know, he's seems a great guy. He's getting that run in the team. He's going to be first choice for a while, whether we like it or not. Although, um, Hamer did a job against Scunthorpe, didn't he? Pulled off yeah. a brilliant save towards the end. Yeah, down the bottom corner. Um, so I guess Roos does have some competition. But even the goals tonight, like... Well, he couldn't do anything about the second goal um, that was passed him before he could move. But the first one, he's, he's just not commanding enough, not, not not confident enough. And he seems to concede a goal that you think he could do better from basically every other game or every every three games, I'd say. It's, it's not that... Um... It's not that he's making, obviously he made a howler in the playoff final, but it's not like he's making howlers and he didn't even last season until the playoff final, unfortunately. Um, it's just the, ooh, could he have saved that? And it happens 
quite regularly and I, you keep looking at the statistics on it and I know it's quite difficult just to judge a game just by the statistics but Derby haven't conceded that many shots on target. It was three tonight against Bristol City, it was three against Stoke on Sunday, uh, I believe it was two against Swansea and I think it was two uh, against Huddersfield. Now, okay, fine, a penalty against Huddersfield. I agree, I don't think he could have done too much with the second uh, and I actually think both the goals that he uh, that were conceded against Stoke were were other individual team uh, collective errors rather than Roos. But I'm just waiting for him to have like that game where you go, fair play, this is why he's our number one. And it, I questioned why Carson was cut out of the team last year. There must have been a reason for it. And I'm, I'm still perplexed that Koku continued that. Um, well, I think it was mainly because um, Carson can't play out from the back. I think that's... That, that seems to be a large part of the reason. Goalkeepers are there to save save goals and Scott Carson is has the capability of pulling off an absolute worldie and is a solid, dependable goalkeeper. So, I mean, that that would be my argument for for, for that. And I don't think Bruce is that good. His, his kicking and his, his uh, sort of commanding of the box isn't strong enough for me. And I think we really lack a, a, an imposing figure at the back. I like Clark coming in at centre-back, but we miss, we miss a decent goalkeeper. I do wonder why, if Carson did get removed from the team because he can't play out from the back why he's gone to Man City because that's what they're all about isn't it <laughs> given that uh, Edison is probably better with his feet than uh, than Florian Josef Zun um, but uh, anyway yeah those, you, you did mention Clark there and we were talking before about the uh, this three at the back situation that, that Koku's going with I think the thing with three at the back is I'm, I'm, I'm completely fine with Bielik he is slotted in good as gold Keo as well Um but if you're going to leave that space behind the wing backs, then you do need those two, uh, those two wide centre backs to both have a bit of pace about them, don't you? And like the second goal against Stoke, I think highlighted a bit of a problem that um, Clark has got a lot of really great attributes, wins loads of stuff in the air, but he's uh, he's not the fastest across the ground, is he? I don't think we were expecting the long ball. I think it was great goalkeeping from Butland, and that's perhaps where a goalkeeper can come into his own as the distribution, uh, countering my point I just made. Um, but Butland's kick is, is fantastic. It's not a punt. It's a long sort of wedge into the corner of the box, so Roos can't really come for it. Um, and I don't think Bielik was expecting it because he's caught uh, by Hogan in the middle, and certainly Clark wasn't expecting it because Gregory gets in behind. He's quick, uh, is Gregory, much quicker than Clark, and I think we were just caught not concentrating at that moment. I think if we're going to play 3-5-2, we need to give them time to get used to it, and I think that would be my preferred formation uh, with the players we've got, but we need to let them settle into that for longer than 45 minutes. And I just wonder if we if we have the midfield to really pull off 3-5-2, but anyway, it's happening, and I'm sure Koku is aware of it. Um, on the plus side against Stoke, real bottle from Waggy, wasn't it, to see him tuck away that penalty? I mean, if he... If he misses back-to-back penalties, that's gonna, you know, that could easily haunt him and really define the early part of his season, couldn't you, it? But yeah. what did you think of his penalty? I think it, it wasn't that much better than the Swansea one, really, was it? I mean, the Swansea one wasn't great; it was slightly to the side and low. And this one, did Butland got a little? He got a little bit of a foot it's, on it, straight down the middle. Now, I was quite interested by this, and so I did a bit of research. Now, Waghorn has. Uh, taken and scored four penalties for Derby, uh, two against Rotherham, uh, one against Ipswich and one against Stoke, and he's missed one um, the other week against Swansea. Now, looking back at those penalties, the one against Hull was a decent penalty. The two against Rotherham, one was exactly the same as the Stoke penalty, straight down the middle, uh, and another one was exactly the same as the Swansea penalty, but it went just down to uh, the other side, the goalkeeper dived the other way. Now, 
My question is, is it time for a new penalty taker? Because that penalty did not fill me with confidence uh, and he didn't look like he was going to score that penalty against Swansea when he, he stepped up to take that when we were watching that over your house. I don't know who it would be. Keo, perhaps, <laughs> judging by the quality of his penalties. Keo with, uh, with his two-step run-up and slot it in the corner. Yeah, wh- why not? Because like, at the moment, I don't trust Waghorn to put a penalty away. Yes, he did so on Saturday, but if you're going to get six or seven penalties a season, you need to be scoring at least five or six of those penalties. Yeah, um, yeah another reason why we uh, miss Harry Wilson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Different issue. Um, going forward, I'm interested to know what you think about Forrest. Um, that great cup tie, everyone getting very excited about it in the Carabao Cup before our next episode. So we'll have a lot of chat about that at uh, at the end of the month in a, in um, in the next podcast. They're a bit of a funny one this season, aren't they, Forrest? I mean, um, haven't actually finished in the top six since 2011. Um, but they're, if squad size is anything to go by, then they're going to give it a good go this season. <laughs> uh, 39 players at one point they had, um, they had in pre-season, which uh, Labucci is trying to obviously cut down to somewhere at least below 30. Sort of similar to what we had last season, where we had three team buses worth of players at the start of the season um 12 new signings this summer eight of them from abroad um but i think you look through that squad and there's a lot of fairly decent championship operators in there like albert adoma uh michael heffler jacob michael dawson ben watson matty cash they're all solid players i think but if you look for match winners I reckon if you take away Lewis Graben and Joe Lolly from that team, are there any real danger men that Derby can fear in the cup next week? I think uh, what Forrest have done is they've tried to strengthen their sort of back line quite a lot. So they brought in Jenkinson, and from what I've heard, that since then, as a result of Jenkinson coming, even though he's not played, Matty Cash has really stepped up and has been much more consistent this year. Uh, but the one player which has caught a lot of players by uh, people by surprise has been Samba Sal. Uh, he's a Malian defensive midfielder signed from Dynamo Moscow um, and he's just brought that bit of consistent steel in the in the midfield yes they had the likes of Watson for example in there but I don't think Watson's particularly good with his feet so when he gets the ball where does he give it and what does he do but uh, Sal in the first sort of three games that he's played has looked quite dangerous um, when he's picked the ball up and been able to sort of give the ball to the more creative players. Uh, for example, Thiago Silva, who has started off quite well. Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> Thankfully not. But uh, Thiago Silva is a 26-year-old Portuguese attacking midfielder signed from, I think, Ferenc, eh? Ferenc. Labucci's uh, first summer signing, wasn't he? Yeah, he signed early in, in July. And he's um, he's played three times and scored once and, and set up one. Uh, the one point to note there is that Ferenc were relegated last season and uh, Silva only scored three goals. So whether that's just a positive start or not, but he does seem quite a diminutive, tricky, uh, tricky midfield player. From uh, what I've from what I've read, Thiago Silva has so far been the player that they were hoping that Carvalho would would have would have been. Yeah, um, Carvalho, who's I think is still working his way back from injury. The, he uh, got the, an ankle injury in pre-season. The, the midfielder they paid fifteen million euros for. Um, and it sounds like you might, you might, you might struggle to get back into the team because of Thiago Silva and, and others. I think that's what some uh, Forest experts and Kenny Burns have been <laughs> uh, have, have been saying in the past few days. But um, what do you reckon? Is this a season they could finally crack it? I mean, the owner seems to think so. He uh, 
Evangelos Maranakis, he's, he's apparently said to Lamucci in a um, in preseason, deliver promotion or I will kill you. <laughs> no, well, no pressure. <laughs> ho- hopefully that's a, a joke, but you never know with uh, with these owners. Anything could happen. I well, guess. he's only signed a one-year contract, hasn't he? So, you know, he'll yeah. probably be summoned and pushed through the trapdoor if, uh, <laughs> if it doesn't work out. Somewhere off the Dardanelles shoved into the sea. But um, but yeah, who knows? I think uh, Forrest looked like a decent bet, but at the same time, people said that last year that Forrest were going to be pushing into top six. For me, they've got too many players to keep happy. And if you rotate them all, um, you're going to end up with a lack of sort of structure and lack of cohesion, um, and I think if you get unhappy players, then you're going to get um, you're going to get people causing problems in the dressing room. Uh, there are a lot of good players in that Forest team: Graben that you mentioned, uh, Lolly that you mentioned, but whether they actually work together as a unit, um, I'm still yet to be convinced. And even at the beginning of the season, I watched the West Brom game. Didn't think they were great in a two-one defeat. So and Joe Lolly's a bit hot and cold, isn't he? Like he can be brilliant, yeah, but can be very, very ordinary. Well, um, he, he destroyed Birmingham City at the weekend. He scored, certainly scored, maybe set up one as well. Um, but I then I heard the comment that he's a, a Villa fan and he loves playing Birmingham City because he uh, because he hates them so much. And if you sort of need that to get motivated, then for me, you're not going to be motivated for every game. League's forty-six games. He needs to be doing that more regularly for them. Uh, one team who probably will finish above Forest, um, according to the bookies at least, is uh, West Brom, who Derby played at the weekend, uh, fourth last season, of course, lost to Villa in the playoff semi finals. Uh, Derby beat him home and away, actually, last season. Probably you'd say the team that underperformed most yeah. with the squad that they had. Uh, do you reckon they can go one better this season? Finish higher than fourth? Yeah, um, we've done some predictions and I think they're they're up there for me to be one of the top, top sides in the in the championship this year. The person I really like who they've brought in, well, there's two actually, but um, Derby will link with him. It's West Ham United Loney. Uh, his name is Grady Diangana. Uh, I think he's 18 years old and he's got full of pace. He's exactly what we could do with down the uh, the flanks at the moment, unfortunately. I think we did go for a bid and he ended up going to uh, West Brom. He scored a brace um against Luton on Saturday and he's also scored another earlier on in the season I think against Forest so he started off very well uh lots of power lots of pace uh and trickery and someone who can also has an end product which is something we're missing and uh even though they've lost Dwight Gale and Jay Rodriguez you still get the sense there's a, lot, there's a fair few goals in that team don't you yeah I think so and I think the goals will come from sort of other sources it won't just be reliant on Gale uh, and to a lesser extent, Rodriguez. I think they will spread them around, and and Dean Garner is is a clear example of that. Another, what I'd say is an astute acquisition um, is Romain Sword uh, Sawyer's the Brentford yeah, he's player. He's a player, isn't he? He's decent. Less than three million pound, which I think in this sort of absolute steal. Yeah, complete bargain. But they let him go what seven or eight years ago. But he's um, he's a real ball player, and he creates things. And I think he's he's playing a lot deeper than he used to be. Uh, I remember having him on Champ Manager, for example, a long time ago, and he was an attacking midfielder, whereas now I think he plays a bit deeper, and he he's the person that un- unlocks the defences. So a bit like Huddleston in the way of he like uses his range of passing. Um, but he's been getting on the ball a lot. Uh, I think West Brom had something like 73% possession against Luton at the weekend, and so he was heavily involved. And I think Sawyer's pass completion rate was 98%, which is phenomenal um, for the amount of touches that he had in that game. Interesting, uh, Interesting few games coming up then and I think as you say the key is just to keep perspective really we could we could be 13th or 14th in October it's completely fine doesn't matter 
It's all. It's a thought. Are, are you sure, Chris? You well, <laughs> can probably see it in my eyes. It doesn't look like I'm telling the truth. But you can, you know, we'll play every team twice. We'll have hard spells. We'll have difficult spells. Um, I think it's just a case of bundling through at this stage. F- football is a funny game. And you, you beat teams when you don't expect to. And you lose the teams you expect to. So it, it doesn't always work out. As you mentioned, we beat West Brom 4-1 and 3-1 last year. Um, gave them a complete pasting away from home. But at the same time, uh, we lost away at Rotherham. Millwall completed the double over us. Um, so it, football's not as simple as that. So we could go into Saturday, have an absolutely excellent defensive display, uh, look good going forward, playing Waghorn and Marriott fun and win 2 or 3-0. At the same time, we could have the same confusion and the uncertainty with our shape because we're still getting to, to settle into this, this season and we could lose 2 or 3-0. I don't think it's a major concern for, as a panic at the moment. This Derby team's got the quality. It's just how do we use it and getting used to use, using that quality uh, in the system that Koku's wanting us to play. We're just, yeah, we're just not gelling, are we? And uh, that's completely understandable at this point. I remember, you know, I was, I was at Rotherham last season. You know, I watched the Bolton game as well that we lost and, uh, you know, Millwall away as well. Losing to those teams that we really shouldn't have lost to, um, given that we finished sixth in the end. Seemed like a disaster at the time, but it's a long season. I'm not too fussed at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's just the fact that the goals we gave away were absolutely catastrophic (laughs) today. Um, But anyway. Remember this time last year, uh, we were losing to Leeds United, who on their unstoppable march towards the Premier League. So football's a funny game. Nothing's won in August. Um, There's still plenty of hope for this Derby team at the moment. That's, that's, that's what I like to hear. Positive, Tom. <laughs> Can't guarantee you'll stay like this all season, but I'm going to draw it while it lasts. Uh, before we wrap up this one, you've uh, you've got a bit of a stealth quiz, haven't you? Kutch is so desperate to be involved, he couldn't make the recording of this one, but he uh, insisted on sending some, sending over some trivia anyway. So uh, what have you got? Yeah, well, he's um, he sent me some questions, which I've written down my answers and then sent a picture to prove that I'd uh, I'd written those down. Um, and now I'm going to ask you those questions. I want you to uh, write those down if you've got a pen and paper uh, just there. And basically, we're going to be looking at the new boy numbers quiz. So as I say, Kutch has sent me five questions. And Chris, I'll read you the question. And then if you can write your answer, what it will be is it'll get a point for the person who's closest uh, to the uh, to each answer. And then there'll be two points for the person who is closest in total uh, for all of those answers added up. Okay. So, your first question is, how many senior international tournaments has Philip Koku represented the Netherlands as a player? Do I just write down my answer and then we do them all at the end? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, how many senior international tournaments has Philip Koku represented the Netherlands as a player? 95% sure I've got that one right. Go on. Uh, next one is the same question, but for Wayne Rooney. So, how many has he represented uh, England for as a player? Oh, good question. Really good question. I enjoyed that. Um, okay. And the third question. Uh, new boy Jamie Patterson signed online from Bristol City and wasn't able to play. Uh, but how many professional clubs has Jamie Patterson played for? And that obviously includes Derby and Bristol City. I have not got a clue. Um, I'll have to have a guess at that one. And next one, uh, the penultimate question. How many first team competitive appearances did Christian Bielik, uh make for Arsenal? So how many first-team competitive appearances did Bielik make for Arsenal? First-team competitive? Yeah. So that would be League Cup, FA Cup, uh, Champions League, Europa League, league yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and then the final question is, what's Derby's away allocation at Brentford in a week and a half's time? 
<laughs> um, okay. I should know this because I've got a ticket and I definitely read it in an email. Okay, you got your number. Um, so I need to add all those together, right? Yeah, I need to add mine together as well in a second, but I reckon we go through the answers and then see if we need that as a tiebreaker. So each answer, whoever's closest gets a point, and then the total amount, whoever's closest there, will get two points. Okay. Okay, first one. Uh, how many senior international tournaments did Philip Koku represent the Netherlands as a player? It was five. Uh, I answered five. I well, did not answer five. It was not. Uh, <laughs> Euro 96, France 98, uh, World Cup 2000, 2004 and 2006. I only counted World Cups. Strong start for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Wayne Rooney was in six tournaments and I said five. I said five as well. Shared point there. Point each, I guess. I uh, said, um, yeah, I said, so two, Euro 2004. Yeah. World Cup 2006. Correct. Uh, World Cup 2010. Yeah. Euro 2012. Yeah. World Cup 2014. That's five. Yeah. What was the other one? Uh, Euro 2016, which is the one I didn't get as well. Did he play for England in that? Look, blame Kutch. I'm just the messenger. I, de- <laughs> I, I definitely will. <laughs> uh, how many professional clubs did Jamie Paston play for? I answered four, but the answer was five. Yes, I said five. Oh, good work, Chris. It was my face. Walsall, Notts Forest, Huddersfield Town, Bristol City and Derby County. Um, so that, hang on, that's um, so you won the first question. Yeah, we both got a point for the second one. I got a point for that one. And yeah. So it's 2-2. Um, the number of first team competitive appearances for that Bielik made for Arsenal uh, was two, and I put zero because I didn't think... I also put zero. Uh, well, we'll both take a point. I, I think Kutcher... It's going to come to a tiebreaker, this. It, it is. Incredible scenes. <laughs> it depends on what our allocation is. So for the allocation, I said the Derby allocation was 2,089. I said Derby's allocation at Brentford was... 1,750. Well, in which case, Chris, congratulations, because it was 1,640, uh, which means you get the point for that. And then my total was over 2,000, and your total must have been under 2,000, and the total was 1,658. My so total was 1,762. Yeah, lovely. Thanks for that, Kutch. Yeah, good trivia. Yeah, excellent. Enjoyed that. Well, there you go. Uh, we'll be returning in a couple of weeks. We'll be back at the end of the month after Brentford for our... Uh, August wrap-up. We'll have a cheeky little goal of the month feature in uh, our next podcast episode as well. Uh, Make sure you subscribe. You can hit follow on iTunes or on Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts, basically. I think we're on uh, Acast as well, I want to say, and probably some other less impressive ones that I can't remember the name of. Um, But anyway, until then, Tom, thanks for joining. All the best. And uh, see you again soon. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.